And we have a special guest today, the newly retired Graham Potter. Graham, thank you so much for joining us. Heads in the Cloud with your host, David Bordnowitz and John Roth. Welcome to today's special holiday edition of Heads in the Cloud. I'm David Portnowitz, and I'm joined by John Roth. Hello, John. Hello, David. And we have a special guest today. The newly retired and uh, one-time host of this podcast, uh, our, our sort of honoree host, Graham Potter. Graham, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Christmas special. It's a bumper special. I tell you what, people will pay big money for this. Big money. <laughs> they do now, don't they? Don't they pay like a like? Oh, it's just a yeah. But by the way, I haven't. Has my has my agent uh, been in touch with you guys? Yes, actually, he has. And um, yeah, there was he, a contract. Was a contract signed this morning? Because when I first got up this morning, it hadn't been signed. So. A lot of red lines. A lot of red lines. I hear. Yeah, we can't, we can't, we're not gonna be able to accept it as is. You know, so, I'm, paid, I'm paid by the minute, you know that. <laughs> a little bit of short episode then. So, uh, <laughs> Graham, you are recently retired. You have, you, what was your last day? Black in November? Early yeah, December, November, November, November the 6th, I think. A day after uh, Guy Fawkes night, bonfire day. That wouldn't mean anything to you. What? No. Remember, no, remember, remember the 5th of November. Oh, yeah, from a beam from Yeah. Guy Fawkes tried to blow up the Houses of Parliament, but you wouldn't know about that, John. You weren't know. around then. No. I know you're old, but you're not that old. I am not that old, no. <laughs> you got me by a few – you got me by a few tread years. <laughs> One or two. You know, David, the, the tone of this podcast is going to go downhill rapidly with me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, so, Graham, how long, how long are you at Star to Star? So I first joined in, whoa, 2006, um, December the 13th. We were a little fledgling business startup, as you will. Um, I think at that stage we were about 10 or 12 people. So what, you were like employee number? I was about, number, I was about number 12 or something like that, yeah. I think. Um, and you know, based upon your extension numbers, that's kind of how you knew that that's what we did with three digit extensions. So, you know, for John, you'd have been an extension 100, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> see what I did there. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was based out of um, the Bank of America building on uh, on Main Street, um, you know, just tiny humble beginnings tiny little office i always remember when we moved to uh, to talavast the building that uh, we had now um we you know the the size of that office was probably the size of i don't know it was a, like a conference room and a couple of other little bits there in that in that building and that was really the the, the square footage of what we had on uh, Main Street, and now look at look at the building on Talavast is um, yeah. I don't know what is that seventy seven thousand square feet. But you know, in this crazy time with the pandemic, I mean, apart from the guys in the uh, distribution area and some people that go into the office, uh, 
that's pretty much empty, isn't it? Really. So interesting times, yeah. interesting times. But yeah, that's that was it. Yeah, 2006. And I always remember we uh, we did our first uh, trade show. I think at the back end of that year, and that was um, that would have been one of the shows down in uh, Miami, I believe. Uh, one of the telephony shows down there. But yeah, we we uh, we really didn't have anything in those days at all. It was a very small business but with a lot of uh, a lot of promise and a lot of great ideas so and everybody did everything you know and that's how I, I really got involved in uh, in doing all the documentation for the business because we didn't have we didn't have anything we didn't have any user guides we didn't have any videos any how-tos anything at all we knew what we wanted to do and you know we were shipping this product out the door um, slowly in, in those early early days obviously but uh, primarily to family and friends and i don't know fortunately most of those friends are still friends but uh, we we put them through the ringer in those those early days as we tried the product yeah that's for sure so you retired november 6th yep. uh, after probably i don't know 70 years in the telecom industry or so not quite and 70 actually i would have been into my 50th year believe it or not i started in the fourth fourth of october 1971 for the post office in uh, in the UK, in London Bridge Street, in the city of London, and that very quickly became uh, British Telecom, and uh, went on to become the company. Well, it's changed vastly now, but became uh, right. The city of London is where I work, the financial um, sort of square mile within the city. Yeah. Um, as a foot soldier for for British Telecom, yeah. A foot soldiers. So you worked under Shredder with the Ninja Turtles. I was uh, I was a bit of a ninja character actually. I worked around all those buildings. I could tell you, I could tell. Well, some tales I could tell you on here, some I can't. But um, you know, we uh, we we uh, did some amazing things in those early years. I worked all around the the financial sector with some of the uh, gilt edge stock companies, some of the brokers. Some of the big banks, Midland Bank International was one I remember off of Cannon Street. Um, I worked in the uh, in the Smithfield Meat Market area, working around there, the Diamond Diamond District of uh, Hatton Garden, all around the city of London. Yeah, it was an interesting time. Yeah, you were a um, you went around and did troubleshooting. So <clears throat> what you do in in those early years? I was a uh, what they called a yit, which was a youth in training, and uh, I became a um, technician grade two A, and then from that I then advanced and became a, a TO in training, and became a technical officer, which was the highest technical grade that you could get to in BT. And I, you do everything. You 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 go in the exchanges. You go outside with the cable gangs. You go on the street, no, no residential stuff. It was all business, and then you uh, you get to learn all the subscriber apparatus side of the business, which is all the telephones as it was then, and all the PBXs. So I got to work on all the different PBXs, and I was fortunate. PBXs that were uh, out back then. What were the? Uh... So so way back then, um, a lot of it was Strouger which as you probably know was the story goes was uh, the Kansas City Undertaker whose uh, 
competitor's wife was stealing his business because uh, she worked in the local exchange and was able to intercept phone calls for for this for this undertaking business and this guy reputedly went away and developed this step mechanical electromechanical step switch that became the the uh, the early stages of a of an automatic switch in a telephone exchange so you'd always know when you went into one of those exchanges because they were noisy as heck and smelly and oily and, and what have you these big old 10,000 line exchanges so yeah i worked on those i worked on uh, crossbar exchanges which was a kind of next step up to common control equipment designed by uh, ericsson swedish ericsson um, a lot of piano wires that move things around but very rapid switching control to what became uh, an electronic era and at that stage the uk <clears throat> certainly in the main switching part of the of the business for the public networks was way 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 behind the united states way behind the united states the united states was was all kind of electronic and whatever the uk was very what we call clunkety click you know most of those things would have been in the smithsonian museum and, and what have you and then all of a sudden it made this huge leap of faith with this new wave of technology called system x and system y and just basically leapfrog way advance of the of the us mm-hmm. um into that new uh, new era and i was fortunate as um as a to working in around that uh, area of london in the in the city of london around london london bridge around cannon street which was some of the main areas and uh, i got picked to work on a uh, on an exchange which was a, a new exchanged by british british telecom which was a bit of joint work between a couple of big companies gc and plessy and it was a system called monarch monarch 120 and it was called cdss1 cdss1 which was customers digital switching system number one and it was basically a digital system hmm. you know, typical eight, eight bit a law um pcm based system and uh, i got the first one in the city of london at uh, at a broker's always remember it i got uh, introduced to the to the main guy in the city of london who headed up the whole the whole area and uh, i was up and running and that was it i'd started working on all around on those systems and then i went from that i looked after a huge itt um exchange in a quarter 4080 in um midland bank international <clears throat> and, and then from that i went to join um uh, a specialist support team that supported that product all around the U- all around the UK. So we were troubleshooters. We were we were kind of a group of people that worked on all the different products. You know, IBM, Philips, right. SE, GC, ITT, and we were specialists dedicated to those exchanges. And you just you just went anywhere in the country, any time of the day or night, at the drop of a hat. You know, we're, we're talking. You know, I'd be away with doing things around the, with the family, shopping in the supermarket. I'd get a page and uh, I'd be gone for three days trying to figure out what was going on. But yeah. yeah. Infrastructure. I, I think that was kind of in, it, interesting that, um, you know, I've heard over the years that the actual infrastructure that the UK had back then was maybe a little bit more advanced than what it was in the UK. I mean, the connectivity, the wire, was it, uh, you know, the, all the wiring that connected those systems together to the central offices. 
Is that so, a statement or is that because I know after the war, you basically it went into I'm not, you don't go back that far, but not quite after, after the war, they basically had a better infrastructure than the U.S. had when it came to, uh, you know, you know, the copper that connected everything together. I think, I think it depends, you know, depending on really on where you were um, in some of the rural districts, obviously everything's pretty much overhead. Um, pretty much a lot of which is like here because obviously in Florida you put copper in the ground with a low water you know water table the way we've got it just degrades and that's one of the reasons in Sarasota why they rolled fiber in so quick because all the copper degraded in the ground but um, it, you know in the main main towns the infrastructure was fairly good a lot of the greenfield sites um, pretty good where they they ran um new cabling in it, it was a mixture really in and around the city it was always tough because you know getting cables in and out of uh of ducks and and main exchanges was was pretty difficult because of uh space and the amount of in that that area because that you know within that financial area in the city um so much money generated in there by all of those broking businesses and um, just, just the whole financial area. There was masses of it, you know. Just so, it, it, yeah, it was. I wouldn't say it was advanced, but it wasn't too poorly off. Um, yeah. But the, the 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 infrastructure that supported all of that, um, as I say, changed dramatically with the advancement of um, system System X, which was the conglomerate of GEC and Plessy building a a big. Um, main exchange and uh, system Y, which was an Ericsson based upon uh, the, the, the technology that went, um, well, it was really an a, what they call an AXE 10, big, big exchange. And I, I, I didn't actually work on one, but I got trained on it. Um, these, these are huge mega ex, digital mega exchanges. And uh, the, the, the UK system kind of advanced quite rapidly at that stage. All of the main digital main switching units around the UK. Um, I think we're all one particular breed. I think they were all system wide. But so the infrastructure changed quite dramatically. And the other the other thing that was interesting was that the uh, cellular network, which was pretty, pretty archaic when it first came out was was all very, very basic. But again, did a big leapfrog over over the US yeah. in that uh, you know the the technology behind it um, moved very very rapidly, and uh, you know GSM was was out and about really, and you know people were very used to using SIM cards in in phones before the US ever even got to got to see any of that. You know, I always remember over here when you got a Verizon cell phone, if you wanted to go abroad, they would give you a different type of phone. Yeah to actually physically take abroad where, you know, people in, in Europe are just used to, you know, travel anywhere and your phone worked anyway. It didn't matter. You, you obviously paid. It's a bit different nowadays because it's, it's, uh, it's become a lot easier, but yeah, in those days it was, uh, and in those days we were walking around with those great big transportable phones that looked like a, a truck battery with a, with a, phone handset strapped on the side of it. I was always remember as a as a support guy and we were traveling all around the country. We had one of these things and we thought we were top dogs. You know, you got this great big battery that lasted about 18 hours. 
and you had this magnetic mount aerial on the back of the car with a wire coming out of it. And we, we went to, um, we went to a building to do some work. And I think we came out and some blighter had, had cut the, cut the aerial off. And I just had a piece of coax cable hanging there. And I, I don't know as we realized it at the time and we were driving along, still making phone calls. <laughs> it didn't, <laughs> didn't make a blind bit of difference and we could still make phone calls and the aerial was gone. <laughs> but, so then you made uh, you jumped across the pond. You came over to work. Well, actually, before before all that, I I got to uh, I got to manage uh, those teams. Um, I, I made that leap of faith out of the technical role, and then became uh, a manager, but a working manager. So you know, I I was one of those fortunate positions in British Telecom where although I held the title of uh, um, you know, manager. I actually managed a team of people, but I rolled my sleeves up and actually worked technically with those guys as well as doing all the other management, man, right. you know, management bits and pieces. And then um, 1992, BT did this huge, big release of people, um, and they offered up everybody. You know, well, you can go, and you're worth this amount of money, and you know good luck and all the rest of it. So a number of us had been in touch because I'd worked with a lot of private companies with some of these new um, big exchanges that we were working on. So we were well connected and I knew I could pretty much get a, get a job with a private comms sector. And uh, I put my hand up in BT and said, yeah, I'll go. And they came back to me and said, no, you can't go. You're too critical, part of the infrastructure. Um, I said, well, you, you told me I could go. I said, oh, we were just testing the water to see how many people <laughs> could go and whatever. I said, no, that's... So we had a big battle on our hands, and I always remember it. Myself and one of the other guys that worked on the same group that I had, and there were about 10 people within our office from different systems, all elected to go. So we went with a good severance package, um, and I, I went and joined, uh, you know, what, what at the time was a, uh, startup company that, that came over from the U S out of the, out of the Bay area, which was aspect, uh, which is now known as aspect software today. In those days, it was aspect telecommunications and they were, um, new kids on the block. <clears throat> they were they were a contact center business or a call center business as it was then, and uh, you know got a contract, got British Airways, got um, KSM, you know quite one or two big big contracts in the UK, and I went as, and headed up their support and service, and uh, was there and then left there and then went to um, another company called SDX Business Systems that then got acquired by. Lucent, which became Avaya, had a great product in the uh, in the UK, way ahead of its time. Had a great time there. Left there, and then I went to become uh, director of Europe, Middle East, and Africa for um, Rockwell Switching Systems, which then became Rockwell Electronic Commerce, which then became Rockwell First Point Contact, which was another big contact center company, which were kind of rivals to uh, to Aspect. So tell us, and, tell us what you're going to do now that you're retired. Um, nothing. nothing? <laughs> I, I kind of find that very hard to believe. You're, so, you're, running, you're right, a marathon runner, I know for sure. So 
That's yeah, I did a did a mega run. Did a mega run on Sunday. I, I did a I did a kind of bucket list thing because I can't frustratingly at the minute. There's no real safe races that you can do anywhere. Not not in person. Yeah. And so I you know I had a couple of health bumps in the road over the last year or so, and so I got myself back to kind of marathon fitness again, and decided that. Uh, I want to train for an ultra marathon, which is, you know, anything from 50 kilometers and up, which is about, you know, for, for you, for you, uh, people that don't work in metric, that's 31 plus miles. And, uh, I, uh, getting pretty fit. So my Sundays, I always, or Saturdays sometimes, but I always run anywhere between 15 and 18 miles. Well, this Sunday I decided to run from Sarasota to Venice and back. Um, and it's the, uh, the legacy trail, um, you know, the trail that goes between Culver house park and the Venice train station. Um, it's, it's straight. It's like a, it's like a Roman road. It's dead straight when you look at it on the map. And, uh, I thought, well, I'm going to have a go at that. So I'd arranged to meet my son in Venice. It's only really as a photo opportunity. No, really. I, I was carrying a hydration vest with enough fluids and I got bottles of uh, Gatorade and what have you. So I was well catered for. And so I got up real early and the park opens at six. I was at the park at five to six, pitch black, nobody around, completely, I mean, really, really dark. So, and it was a bit, I don't know if you remember Sunday, this Sunday was a little bit misty, and uh, temperature was down a bit, but it was getting a bit humid and muggy. So it was a little difficult for me to gauge what I was going to wear, if I was going to wear a, a singlet, like a vest or, a, you know, a proper shirt or a longer sleeve shirt or longer socks or, you know, so anyway, I, was, I went the whole, the whole nine yards, you know, my proper running shorts, the, the uh, compression shorts and my singlet and my, got my backpack, I got a headlight on, I got a little lighted, you know, fluorescent yellow belt thing. And so off I go and I run down the trail. I don't know if you've ever been down it, but it's about 12 foot across probably of, uh, of road surface like asphalt or tar surface. Um, and it's like running in a black tunnel because you can't see anything. And all I could get was this little, and I was getting all these little droplets from the mist running down in front of me as I'm running. And all I could hear were all these kind of weird animal sounds. <laughs> I'm not scared of the dark, obviously. But um, I was thinking, what if I meet a panther down here? What am I going to do? Wrestle it or what? And I was looking around. So I pick up a big stick or something. Anyway, yeah, it was, it was quite an experience. So uh, gradually, it was 50 minutes in before I saw another soul. Uh, oh, wow. guy, guy on a bike went past me. Anyway, I ran into into Venice, and there was my son. Um, took a picture, and I ran into the into the bathroom, and then came out again. and And he said, "What you you going back now?" I said, "Yeah, I'm going back now." And it's like three minutes later, I'm back on my way back to uh, to Sarasota. Showered up when I got home. I drove home and showered up, and then met Jane for a for a sumptuous Indian lunch. Very so nice. yeah, blew off something like three thousand calories, I think. Total yeah. round total round trip was twenty one point two zero miles. Wow. So That's yeah, great. it was good. So yeah, not bad not bad for an old sixty six 
something your own. I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. I wanted to ask you a question. Um, you know, having been in this space for a long time, you know, what to your estimation or to in, in your eyes, what was what what's been the most or what was the most noticeable change or difference in the technologies in, in our space over the last like 30 or 40 years? Like what do you think made the most change? I mean, just just in terms of how people communicate and collaborate today, I think I think having having come out of um, I missed the the kind of last bit of the story, and I kind of cut John off as he tried to get me as I transitioned over to the U.S. and I was fortunate to lead a 400 people strong group of uh, folks when I joined Rockwell and that contact center world. The, you know, we had a we had a great number of customers there, but then that transition. As, as I as I went into pure management, more like a general manager of a, and I got out of that whole technical world, and then when I when I finally uh, left that and kind of semi-retired a long time ago, and then joined Start a Start as a startup, that shift from from that era of digital, you know, pig iron, if you will, you know, physical stuff, racks of equipment to you know what we were going out the door with at start a star with just this this little box and all all of the stuff that it did it was like a black art you know and i mean i i had long got out of uh, out of technology and i had to rapidly learn about networks and things like that obviously as you do when you when you get involved in that and the, and the whole sort of ucas world that we then that that to me has been the biggest the biggest shift the fact that everything is so yeah. kind of seamless now and it just blends together and, you know, whether you, you know, like we're doing now today, I, th during this whole pandemic, I don't think I've lifted the handset off of my desk phone. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think I've used my desk phone. I mean, I've, I've had a few calls with, with mobile, but it's all been primarily been uh, video and chat and stuff like that. Um, so that that's been really the biggest the biggest move. I mean, when I look back to '71, you know, when it all when I started in it all, I mean, it's it's Dickensian, you know. When you, when you look at it, it's, it's, when you look at those, and I belong to a, to a group of, of of people that are ex post office and British Telecom employees from back then. Uh, on Facebook and people are posting all of these pictures of all this old equipment that we worked on. And it's, wow, <laughs> it's, it just looks, it just looks so crude and, and basic, you know? But yeah. So do you think, I mean, with that, what you think it's like the sort of proliferation of high speed internet has really been the, the yeah. impetus for that change? Yeah. And, and, and actually over the last few years, because when I look back to when Starter Star first began in 2006, the internet is not the internet of today. You know, yeah. it wasn't a very forgiving place back then. And although we were able to uh, squeeze phone calls out over a, over a lowly DSL or ADSL connection, um, you know, using this wonderful little, little box, a star box, um, you know, even now, you know, fast forward to today where people can get these unbelievable fiber asymmetric circuits that are just, I don't know, it's like 50 bucks or something yeah. like that. I mean, it's ridiculous, you know? 
I mean, it's just, I mean, it's cheap internet, you know, bandwidth is cheap. And that, and that's been the, that's been the thing that has really made such a, such a big change and made everything, made everything possible. We couldn't, you know, if the pandemic dreadful as it is, had hit, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, there's, there, there wasn't, everything was proprietary, you know, whether it was, whether it was Polycom, whether it was um, Cisco, you know, I couldn't communicate with you because, you know, we, and it's like a phone call. You take that for granted. I dial you up on a telephone and it doesn't matter what you're using on the other end. I'm going to connect to you. Yeah. But in those days with video, unless you had the same equipment, tough luck. Now you can, you can have a really, really good experience as, as we're doing now with, uh, with video connection over multiple different platforms, no matter what you're using, tablet, phone, laptop, Mac. Um, and, it, and it's just, just so different. And, and it, would have been, it would have been dire. I mean, it just, it's dire anyway, as we well know, but it would have been so much worse um, without the ability to do this sort of thing, you know. Um. Yeah, when I think back at this year, or we think back at this year, 2020, and I want to sort of steer the conversation here in the last bit is we think back about what this year has taught us. It's, I think, I think, you know, like you were harping on, it's that, it's the fact that, you know, we've had probably 10 years worth of digital transformation of people moving to the cloud of, of, of in whole industry shifting their entire approach to video or to mm-hmm. or to other collaboration tools in nine months, right? Really since March. Um, and I think as we get into 2021 and, uh, you know, we can, we, we sit here today on, I know it, this will come out later, but we sit here today on December 14th and people are getting vaccines in this country and in, and in all places and other places all, all over the world and in a record time, which is incredible. You know, we look back six months from now and, and maybe we get to some semblance of normalcy you know, it'll be interesting to see if we go back to the way things were, you know, where, where there's more face-to-face or if a lot of this digital transformation sticks or if companies look at what they did over the nine month span and say, how can we improve upon that and, and, and continue to, you know, look, reduce our, reduce our, our costs of, of, of renting and leasing a, a big space and, and, and providing more resources to folks at home. I mean, so there's just, there's so much that is going to change that ha- that has changed over the last nine months and is going to change over the next probably oh, one to two years. Yeah. Um, that it's it's going to be, it's, you know, I just think the whole workforce is going to look so much different post pandemic. And, and, you know, and that may have happened gradually over five, 10 years, and it's going to have happened over a span of 24 months or something like that. I just think it's, I, it's really I, remarkable. I, I, yeah, I think that I think there are companies that perhaps would have just carried on, you know, probably blindly not knowing that, you know, they could have done what what they've had to do in this in this period of time so dramatically, you know, and so such a short order to stay to stay afloat. Um, so it has accelerated all that, but I, I you know, I think I think organisations now will, you know, the real estate market. Um, it's going to have a profound impact where people just aren't going to aren't going to need the space anymore because they've been able to survive and operate um, in this in this kind of new normal. 
Um, and it, it's, it's been fortunate that, uh, tough as it is, that, that there's technologies around um, that, that support the ability to work remotely very, very easily uh, without massive uh, expenditure to, to, uh, to do that. Yeah. And, and obviously with big, big savings as well. I think sometimes just the, the human, the human nature of who we are. Once we're into an environment that's comfortable and we're used to it, it's like it's very difficult to go back. So I think that uh, really, uh, I think we're going to stay in this mode. And I think the next question I like that, David. If I'm jumping on your toes, or you're no, no, go for it, John. Go for it. Would be, you know. Uh, what's maybe your idea of the next, uh, what's going to happen in the next 10 years, Graham? Yeah. Well, I think if you look at you you asking me that question, John, (laughs) you're asking an old, you're asking an old retiree. I think it's, uh, yeah. Let me, let me just look into my crystal for folks at home he's actually got some sort of crystal thing on his that's a microphone that's a magnifying glass you can read i that's don't give me that something's something's coming through hang on a minute oh (laughs) i think i think i think it's a good question john i think uh, obviously a little bit unanswerable but you know in terms of like i think you could guess and i think I think you're going to see a lot more work from home i think remote work is here to stay for a lot of industries um I think you're going to see a lot more sort of on the retail side, concierge type approach where, you know, you, you know, have some sort of augmented reality showroom that, you know, that you can, you can almost try things on, you know, the, the sort of the ability to, to, to shop in your own home and have that feel like more of like a retail experience, I think will only get, you know, better and better. Um, and I think, you know, the travel industry will, will certainly be completely sort of, it has been upended and, and will, will continue to feel effects for the next few years. I, I, feel, I, feel, I still think people are going to be hesitant to travel um, in the same numbers they were. And, you know, that will have effects on, you know, all, places all over the world. And, 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 and I, you know, I just, I, I don't know, it's hard to, it's hard to see, but you could definitely feel that, you know, the in-home experience is only going to get richer and richer. You know, I feel like, you know, the, 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 yeah, no I, what industry you're in. I um, think it's so important that, you know, for, for me personally, I mean, I'm out of it now technology wise, but um, I think it's so important for, you know, one of the downsides of obviously uh, having, having the work at home is the, is the camaraderie and the ability to kind of meet your fellow workers and what have you. And that's why as a personal observation of, of, uh, of some of this, it's why it's so critical that this sort of thing takes place and it's personalized because I, I see so many, many people doing this type of calling without showing themselves. Um, and to me, you know, to keep that personal interaction going and relationship going, it's so important to, to do that. And, and it works. It does work. You know, I've always been a great believer in that, especially with, with bringing teams of people together. You know, I've, I've done that even at Star to Star when we work with folks um, overseas. Um, 
you know, it, 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 you, you have to have that face-to-face -face, uh, yeah. involvement. Yeah. And David's right, you know, tra the travel industry, um, you know, the days of when, you know, I used to travel around the world. Um, guys I work with, you know, it almost becomes uh, addictive that you have to do, you know, i got to go to the UK, I've got to do my two-week trip over there, and then I've got to go to India, and then I've got to go to Australia, do my APAC tour. You just don't need to, you know, you can do all of that and, and you know, so adequately now using this technology, but you've got to immerse yourself in it and, and you know, not do it half baked and, and what have yeah. you. So I think more and more of this is going to, is going to happen. So, um, and it's interesting for me now watching from afar, I obviously still get a lot of the, uh, the updates on what, what's going on in the, in the, in the technology world. And I'll never, I don't think I'll ever change that, you know, once you're involved in it, but, uh, it's fascinating to watch. And I think, you know, what will happen over the next few years, uh, 10 years on David, I'm going to be, uh, really, really old. And if I'm, if we have this conversation then, and I'm still going out running 20, 20 plus miles on a Sunday, then I won't be doing bad. So uh, no, absolutely not. Well, Graham, it's been it's been great catching up with you. A pleasure. Um, you know, we it's it's been a I I, I, I don't wanna, I'm hesitant to say it's been a great year, but it's been an interesting year, right? I mean, it's been a it's been an it year. It has, yeah, so very different. Yeah, it's been a year we'll never you. forget. I I, I miss uh, coming into your office and sitting there, and you uh, your enthusiasm is just always just overwhelming of. Uh, your love for the industry and your love to teach. You taught yeah. me so many things when I was at Star to Star that, uh, you know, I had a question, I couldn't get it answered. I'd come into you and you would take the time and have the patience and the compassion and just your, just your, your personality was electric of just helping others. And you did that with most people that you came in contact with. Cause that's one thing I remember, I'll remember most about you being in the office. Yep. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, Graham, I echo those sentiments and uh, we'll, we will certainly miss you and having your, your contagious laughter around and, and, and talk, talking and about all sorts of things, uh, work and non-work related. Crazy, so. crazy Brit with all these odd words that people, <laughs> uh, people don't always understand and then they finally get what you said and it's like, oops, I shouldn't really have said that <laughs> anyway, but there you go. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I still stay in touch and, and stay in touch with you guys and, so, and some of the other folks and whatever. And obviously I have a very vested interest to see the, the business succeed. And, uh, you know, I think it's, I wish star to star and everybody, um, all, all the very best in the, in the world. And, uh, you know, you got, you got a wonderful opportunity there and tough, tougher year as it has been, the company's done really, really well and uh, will continue to do so. And it's got, got some great people and, uh, you know, I feel that uh, I can I can depart and relax and do the things. You know, ironically, one of the things that we were going to do was travel. Yeah, <laughs> and that's uh, that's really that's really not happened. But hopefully, it will. You know, hopefully, it will. So yeah. So I well, got a, up, guys. Can I get a final question in? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Graham, here's a question for you. Ready? Go on. In. You're stranded on an island. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have a choice of communication with the outside world. You can have video. You can have cell 
service. You can have a cell phone, have voice. You can have text or email. What would be the one you would choose? Now, the video does not have audio with it. What do you mean the video doesn't have audio with it? <laughs> well, well, and what, what doesn't the cell phone have with it? And what doesn't, you know, there's got to be some other, other great, great cell things. Phone is a, the cell phone is a flip phone that is... <laughs> this <laughs> is the most convoluted <laughs> question. <laughs> Don't point. Well, there's your voice part of it. And you have text or email. Well, you got to take the audio. I got you got to take the audio. I think. Yeah, to hear somebody's voice is uh, is probably one of the most. You know, I mean, to see just a picture of somebody waving at you without, unless you can do sign language, I guess, which I can't. Um, Maybe with, you can with, learn it. You, I, you, well, you know what? I, I take it back. I take it back. You should take the video. You get a little whiteboard. You write the messages down. You show them. I think I, t- I take it back. You do the video. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of choices there. So I'll think All about. Right, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll think on that, John. Thank you. <laughs> it's been great catching up with you, Graham. Yeah, so, you guys. We really appreciate your time. And uh, for John Roth, I'm David Portnoy. This has been Heads in the Cloud. Thank you to all of our listeners for a great 2020, uh, and we will see you next year. Stay safe. Stay safe. See ya. Take care. Bye now. Bye.